0: As we've already been reminded and seen on our television screens over this weekend today is the 60th anniversary of D-Day. One article I read described it as perhaps the 20th century's greatest single turning point. The day when World War II tilted decisively in the Allies' favour and the final battle for freedom began. As dawn broke on the 6th of June 1944 more than 156,000 troops began the perilous journey to occupied France and at tremendous loss of life they managed to gain a foothold on the beaches of Normandy. It would be another 11 months before the war finally ended that D-Day marked the beginning of the end. Without it, the ending and the history of the world would have been very different. Yet there was a more significant D-Day in the history of the world. The day when Jesus, the Son of God, accompanied by the twelve men he had chosen, turned south on a journey that would lead to a final and decisive battle. That lay several months in the future. But this D-Day marked the beginning of the end. Without it, the history of the world would be very different and you and I would not be here in this church today for this church would not be here. Yet that victory was not won without enormous sacrifice. For Jesus now revealed the way that he must take, the way that his followers must take and that is the way of the cross. So look with me at this D-Day, this decisive day in the life of Jesus and his followers as Mark describes it in his Gospel in the verses that we read together in Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through to chapter 9, verse 1. It really will help to have a Bible in front of you. Still on page 1012 in the Pew Bibles. And let me try and help us if I can, to understand this vitally important day by focusing on two related themes as we focus on the cross. Uh, The first theme I want to highlight is that this happens at the crossroads. Uh, It's significant and uh, it's interesting as we've read through Mark's Gospel that we're also, well I certainly must have read it hundreds of times and many of you have, uh, to see fresh perspectives as we look at this together. And one of the things struck me is very strange this week. If I was to walk up to you in the street and say, follow me, what's the first thing you would ask? You'd want to know where you're going, what the destination is. Yet as far as we read in the Gospels, when Jesus walked through Galilee and called these twelve men individually and said, follow me. As far as we know, not one of them stopped to ask, where to? Such was the compelling call and character of Jesus that each of them in turn left what they were doing and followed him immediately. And now here, two and a half years on, two and a half years of following Jesus, they are still none the wiser about the destination to which he is leading them. Now wherever it is, wherever they're heading it's not one of those journeys that you get off a route map on the internet where you go from A to B by the quickest route we've seen that they've crisscrossed the province of Galilee with occasional trips further north and to the eastern shore of the lake and now they leave the town of Bethsaida on the northern tip of Galilee and they head once more on a 25 mile journey north to the town of Caesarea Philippi and though they don't know it this is the furthest limit of their journey and from here they will turn and head south down to Jerusalem Jesus is about to reveal the final destination and what awaits them and Caesarea Philippi therefore this place marks as it were a crossroads that points to and leads to Across. it's worth just stopping for a moment again it's a question I'd never really thought about I must say until recently why did Jesus choose this particular place as the crossroads you see the life of Jesus was mapped out he said I always do what my father tells me he always followed the divine timetable and direction so he never went anywhere that the father didn't intend him to go so why this particular place at this particular point in time Well, we can't be certain. Was it just to get away from familiar places and pressing crowds to be alone with his disciples? Since ancient times, people have come to this particular spot, high up on today's Golan Heights, on the southwestern slope of Mount Hermon, to escape the summer heat and to enjoy the refreshing streams of water that are there. Uh, It's one of the two sources of the Jordan River this may have been part of the reason but I think there's more to it than that and the clue lies in the place itself places have significance because of their history and this place had a very interesting history and its history was associated with one word and that word is the word worship the location here is a place of worship Uh, originally it was called Balinus its original name was Balinus it had been a centre for the worship of Baal the Canaanite deity you remember when Fiona did that wonderful thing with the children of Israel well when they got into the promised land they found all these different communities and people groups and they all worshipped the god Baal who was the god of fertility today if you've been to Israel you can go there it's called Banias Banius is a form of Panias and it's so called because up on the hillside there was a cavern which was said to be the birthplace of the Greek god Pan, the god of nature so it became an important centre for the worship of the Greek god Pan you can still see the remains of the site uh, today when the region finally fell to the Romans the emperor Augustus bequeathed it to Herod the Great and Herod built a temple of white marble dedicated to Augustus Caesar the people of the Roman Empire peoples of the Roman Empire were meant to worship Caesar as Lord and when Herod the Great died he he gave it on to his his son Herod Philip who rebuilt the city and called it after himself Caesarea Philippi to distinguish it from another Caesarea, which is further upon the Mediterranean coast in the north now This is its name at the time of Jesus, Caesarea Philippi. But That is its history, its origin. Now now keep that in the back of your mind as we come to the question that Jesus asked them at this crossroads. The most important question of all, look what he says. The question is, who is Jesus? Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? Now, there were those, especially among the Jewish religious leaders, who had a very negative opinion of Jesus. They even attributed what he did to the devil. But the answers the disciples give from the common people are very positive. Uh, Some think that Jesus is John the Baptist. Come back from the dead after being executed by Herod. We read earlier in Mark 6 that Herod thought that himself. Like many people's opinion today, it's not very informed because you just needed to do a bit of research to work out that Jesus and Herod appeared at the same time and were seen together. Others offer more likely suggestion. Some people think he's Elijah, returned from the past to usher in the final day of the Lord, the last Hebrew prophet Malachi, the last words in the Old Testament prophesied this. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Yet others suggest that he's one of the prophets. Perhaps the prophet Moses had promised in the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. That's Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 and having heard all these opinions as it were having asked the audience Jesus then turns to the disciples themselves and asks them a personal question who do they think he is? look at verse 29 but what about you? he asked who do you say I am? now again think of the background in this multicultural, multi-faith place where different gods have been worshipped down the centuries who do the disciples think Jesus is? Where does He fit into all this? They've been with Him on the way, on this journey. They've heard His teaching, they've seen His miracles, they've watched Him closely, 24-7, for two and a half years. So, what conclusion have they come to about who Jesus really is? Have the disciples, have these learners, learned the lesson that Jesus has been trying to teach them through His miracles, through His messages, through his parables. This is the $64,000 question. Who do you say I am? Never mind the opinions of other people. Now, I want to say it's the most important question that any one of us needs to answer this morning. The question is, who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think he is? It's a personal question to which we must give a personal answer. Maybe you've been following Jesus with us in this series in Mark's Gospel over this year. Maybe you've explored what other people have said and written. It's very interesting, our own culture today is like that of Caesarea Philippi, We're all around us as never before we're aware of the different religions and faiths, some centuries old, some brand new, and all their various gods and gurus and completing claims. Where does Jesus fit into all this? Who is he? And Peter stands up and speaks on behalf of the rest. Peter answered, verse 29, he says, You are the Christ. The word Christ is not a surname. It's interesting today, people think that there was a man called Jesus who had a surname which was Christ. Christ is a title. It's a Greek word. The Greek word is Christos, And it means anointed one. In ancient days, they used to anoint people by especially kings and priests for a specific task. Instead of crowning them like we do in Westminster Abbey with our rulers, they would pour oil on their heads. The Hebrew word Messiah is Messiah. Messiah and Christ, they're just the same word, different languages, Greek and Hebrew. And in time the term Messiah or Christ came to refer to a special person whom God would send, who would combine the role of king and priest and save his people and this is the right answer the correct identification Jesus is the Christ all the other answers are wrong Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah and Peter has got it right in Matthew's account of this story Matthew adds some further words that Jesus spoke after Peter said this Matthew 16 verse 17 Jesus said to Peter Blessed are you, Peter, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Peter didn't work this out for himself. He wasn't smarter than the average disciple. Like the blind man in the previous story, and there are close connections here, it takes a miracle for him to see who Jesus really is. It takes a miracle for anyone to really understand who Jesus is. And now the secret is out at last, you would expect Jesus to instruct his disciples to go and let everyone else know the news because all of the people of Israel are looking for this Messiah, this Christ but Jesus says don't tell anyone yet verse 30 Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him why don't you ask? well the reason for this is that the people of Israel had the wrong idea about the Messiah the actual term Messiah is not mentioned very much in the Old Testament but after that 400 years silence that Fiona finished with lots of things happened and there were other books and prophecies in that period that are not in our Bibles they're called the Apocrypha you'll find them in some other Bibles like the, the Roman Catholics have the Apocrypha as part of their Bible and these writings spoke a lot about the Messiah and they pictured him as a military conqueror who would come and crush all the enemies of Israel and lead them to victory and that is not the kind of picture that Jesus is going to communicate about the Messiah and were the disciples to go and proclaim that Jesus is this military conqueror it could divert him from his mission raise false expectations interestingly it is only when he is finally on trial for his life that Jesus finally admits who he is to anyone outside the circle you may remember the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robes and said, Why do we need to hear any more? He's guilty of blasphemy. And they condemned him to death. An older commentator, Cranfield, comments, Only when Jesus was a helpless prisoner in the hands of his enemies and his messianic claims must seem ridiculous, was his messiahship to be openly proclaimed and so instead of using the term messiah Jesus uses another term about himself he calls himself the son of man who must suffer, verse 31 he then began to teach them that son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priest and teacher of the law and must be killed and after three days rise again the son of man title was far less likely to raise wrong ideas partly it means just someone who is a man but there's also echoes in the book of Daniel chapter 7 about the coming Son of Man who would come in great glory and usher in an everlasting kingdom. And now at this point, at the crossroads, the disciples finally learn where they are heading. It is a crucial moment for them. They've been following Jesus for two and a half years. Maybe their hopes have been raised that Jesus is going to be the one with the big white horse who will deliver... Israel from all her enemies, and they're going to be the generals marching behind but Jesus says no after a brief excursion up a mountain it will be downhill now, all the way, literally, figuratively right down to Jerusalem a downward journey to suffering and death and at the crossroads the disciples have to decide are they going to follow Jesus still down the end of the journey, to the end of the journey See, there are many people today who follow Jesus for all sorts of reasons. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're interested in becoming a Christian or being a Christian and, 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 you know, you have great hopes of what it might mean for you. But I have to tell you that following Christ means taking up the cross. what Jesus said. Nothing has changed. It involves a life of suffering oh yes there is great joy, we'll talk about that but it is joy through suffering and maybe this morning you're at the crossroads and you think I'm not going that way that's not what I thought I didn't sign on for this and so now we move to a second theme because what Jesus says seems absolutely unthinkable to his disciples and so we see a second theme which is at at cross purposes at cross purposes the disciples can't believe what they're hearing from the lips of Jesus yet there is no mistake we read in the gospel Jesus speaks plainly about this this is no hidden parable where you have to work out what he's meaning the parables and the miracles almost entirely and most of the parables begin to stop at this point Jesus is speaking more clearly the signs have all been given he speaks plainly and once more Peter speaks up on behalf of the rest of the disciples but so as not to embarrass Jesus by rebuking him in front of them he pulls him aside and begins to rebuke him the word rebuke is a very strong verb it's the same word used in verse 30 when Jesus warns or rebukes the disciples not to tell anyone that he's the Christ but Peter doesn't have the last rebuke for Jesus responds in kind again using the same word but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples he rebuked Peter get behind me Satan he said you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men you see Peter and Jesus are literally at cross purposes on this issue There are only two contrasting ways that Jesus can go from here. The first is God's way. God's way is the way of the cross. It is a way that will mean suffering, rejection, execution and only then resurrection. Now, this was, although few understood it, the way which God had foretold through the prophets. That is why Jesus says the Son of Man must he is following the divine timetable the agenda that the Father has set out for him most clearly the prophet Isaiah foretold a suffering servant who would be despised and rejected who would die by the guilt of others suffering God's judgment on our behalf and whom God would finally vindicate and rise, rise to life again in Isaiah 53 that's the one route but the other route is man's way which is to avoid the cross Peter hoped and believed that the Messiah would be acclaimed by everyone, particularly the religious leaders. He would be proclaimed king. Humanly speaking, that's what he would expect. And Jesus says, exactly. That is the way that human beings speak and think. But in fact, behind it all, behind Peter, and speaking through him, is Satan, who is God's adversary, who will do all he can to divert Jesus from the route that heads to salvation for the world that began with his temptation when Satan did all he could to divert him from the Father's will and now it continues even through a human agency even through someone like Peter who had the best interest he thought of Jesus in his heart you see Peter sees who Christ is but like the blind man in the previous story he doesn't see the whole picture he only sees partially remember the man? he said, can you see? he said, I only see men but they're like trees walking he needed a second touch in order to see the full truth and Peter will need a second touch before he finally understands who Jesus is and why he had to suffer this will only come after the events that Jesus has spoken about his suffering and death and resurrection now, we with hindsight of all those events Should be able to see much better for we live after after the suffering after the death, after the resurrection of Jesus, yet it is surprising how people fail to understand still today why Jesus had to suffer and to die I tell you this, the test of any understanding of the Christian faith if someone says they're a Christian and you're talking and you're not sure what they believe, simply ask them this question, why do you think Jesus died on the cross there's a lot of criticism of Mel Gibson's film about Jesus because it focused only exclusively on the events of the crucifixion perhaps it would have been more balanced to have included something about the birth and ministry and resurrection of Jesus but the title of the film was right The Passion of the Christ look in our hymn books haven't done a count but you go through a hymn book like this it's a modern hymn book older ones probably even more so just look at how many hymns focus on the death of Jesus the suffering of Jesus the one place where all Christians meet together is around the table of the Lord Jesus Christ as we will do this evening when we share together in bread and wine we focus on the suffering and death of Jesus so I ask you this morning do you understand why Jesus died? unless you do you will never fully understand who Jesus is and you may need this morning a second touch so that you can see clearly who Jesus really is yes the resurrection is vital but there can be no resurrection without the crucifixion no glory without suffering no life without death and that is why this is such a crucial D-Day in the life of Jesus and his followers it is the D-Day which will lead to the cross providing Jesus and his followers take the right route and don't go down the wrong route but it is not only vital for Jesus, it is vital for his followers too. There are two contrasting ways for Jesus, but there are two contrasting ways for the followers of Jesus. And they're totally different. Opposites. One way is losing your life in order to gain your life. Jesus says, you, you, you lose your life by following me, by following the way of the cross. This is our verse for the year. If anyone would come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The image of the cross has become sanitised over the years. But when Jesus said this, it would have been the most abhorrent, gruesome, awful picture to use. Because in those days, it was a familiar sight under the Romans to see someone staggering along, accompanied by soldiers, with the traverse beam of a cross across his back and you knew he was going to be crucified and die the most appalling awful death that anyone had ever devised humanly speaking it's a bit like someone digging their own grave being buried in it and then taking a two or three days to die only far worse and that is what Jesus tells because he turns to the crowd now and he says if any of you want to follow me this is what you must do it means losing your life often literally but certainly as far as personal ambition and agendas go it is a denial of self nothing could be clearer as has often been said you could never accuse Jesus of recruiting followers under false pretenses it is absolutely clear yet Jesus says this is the way ultimately you gain your life the person who loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it in contrast the person who seeks to hold on to their life to gain it will ultimately lose it you don't have to go down this route you can walk out of Charlotte Chapel and say I didn't realise it was involved, all that was involved it's too costly for me, forget it I'm going to go and live my own life and Jesus says you have that choice you can live for yourself, you can hold on to your life refusing to relinquish control to Christ but in the end, last analysis, Jesus says all you've gained will be lost what good will it be for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul or what can a man give in exchange for his soul so, let me ask you this morning which route are you travelling down? are you following Jesus, the way of the cross? or are you following your own agenda, living your life for yourself? Jesus says there is coming a day of final judgment, when there will be an accounting Verse 38 If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels Jesus says there is a day coming when I will return not as a suffering saviour, but as a glorified, victorious Lord with the armies of heaven accompanying me. And on that day, there will be a great accounting. And the test will be whether we have followed Christ or whether we've been ashamed of him and his words. Notice what it says about his words. If you ask most people today, very interesting, this is well worth doing it. I say to people, what do you think about Jesus? We find very few people who are anti-Jesus oh he's a good man great moral teacher get them to actually read his words and take them seriously and you will find that most people reject Jesus not least on words like these Jesus says there's a day coming when everyone will be judged sheep and goats wheat and tares saved and lost hell and heaven great divide oh I didn't realise Jesus said that kind of thing And those of us who follow Jesus cannot afford to ignore his words. We have to proclaim them. That's why Jesus says we're ashamed of me and my gospel. The good news. The good news includes the fact that God sent his son into the word to save us from God's coming judgment. There are many people in the world today who have lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. If you weren't here in the prayer meeting on Tuesday and if you hadn't got a good reason you should have been, we heard about the church in North Korea. I mean literally makes you weep. To think of the hundreds of the thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of Christians who are laying down their lives even now for the sake of Christ. Literally dying. Nobody pays any attention. Why do they do it? Because they're following Christ. It's costly business. In contrast in the West there is a common view that you can enjoy all this world has to offer and the benefits of heaven when you die you can have your cake and eat it and I simply tell you on the basis of what Jesus says there is no such thing as a cost free faith it is, in, it is incompatible with a cross centred faith one writer says to take up the cross means you have to matriculate in the school of suffering so I don't know maybe you're suffering at the moment you think people t- say to you there must be something wrong with your faith otherwise God wouldn't be letting you go through this Listen, the reverse is true. If you're a Christian, expect to suffer for Christ. It is the way the master trod, as the hymn writer says, should not the servant tread it still? And only the final return of Christ will make sense of our lives and will ultimately prove that those who've gained their lives will lose them and those who've lost their lives to Christ will gain them. It's the cross-purposes, it's the cross-roads almost finished and our time is gone look at the last verse the first verse of chapter 9 which has caused considerable controversy about what Jesus meant about the kingdom of God coming with power and he said to them I tell you the truth some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power some critics have said well Jesus thought that he would return in the lifetime of his disciples and he got the dates mixed up here and this is a big mistake it doesn't seem very likely to me not least because the gospel writers would surely have amended the text if it looked embarrassing. Now on the assurance that Jesus knew what he was saying the reference to the kingdom of God coming with power while people were still alive must refer to something sooner in time. The obvious reference is to the event which immediately follows which we'll look at next week, God willing the transfiguration of Jesus when the disciples, those three special disciples see the glorious presence of Jesus on the mountain with Moses and Elijah however that was only the beginning of the revelation of God's power and glory in Jesus. D-Day was followed by V-Day the victory Jesus won at the cross. The place where God's glory was revealed is in the crucifixion of Jesus paradoxically and on the third day God raised him from the dead declaring him with power to be his son as Paul puts it Romans 1.4 and then at last those present at this D-day in Caesarea Philippi Peter and the other disciples at last understood clearly why the Son of Man had to suffer and die and be raised to life after three days they saw the kingdom of God come with great power but there will be a day when everyone will see the kingdom of God come with great power when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory the final book of the Bible tells us look he is coming with the clouds every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him so shall it be, Amen. The crucial thing is that we're ready for that day. David Garland, the final comment and i finished. In the judgment, the utter powerlessness of God's hostile adversaries will be manifest as they are brought to the bar to answer to God. Those who have thrown in their lot with them will find they have made a fatal choice. They have bartered a few more years of life on earth with this wicked and adulterous generation for an eternity with them in hell. Giving one's life in service to God may mean losing a few years on earth but the result will be spending eternity with the glorified sin of man. Jesus does not say that confessing him will make us happier, but it will save us from God's judgment. The better part of wisdom is to follow Jesus' way, even if it leads to earthly humiliation. The only other choice leads to divine condemnation. And so today, at the crossroads, count the cost, the cost of following Christ and also the cost of not following Christ let's pray together